Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When I was in New York, when I was dedicated to the cause of Lucifer, I was at that point a generation of I was laying there, practically, and I had her hold me as if I was me. I couldn't talk, I couldn't open my eyes, I, I believe my eyes were all right back in my head. There was evidence of human sacrifice on this flight. One of my first questions I asked was, God, is there evidence of human sacrifice? Yes, yes. We found the man with his fingers like God. Guys, welcome back to Conspira Normal. It's your host Adam Sane, and we have Mr. Luke in the house. Luke Skyrider. <laughs> That's right. And producer Rob's here. Howdy ho. <laughs> He's a little tired tonight. <laughs> <laughs> producer Jesus is a little tired. <laughs> DJ Jesus. <laughs> well, it's been about a couple of weeks since we last met, guys. And how was uh, everybody's Halloween? It's pretty fun, man. I guess I'll go first. Since, sure. since I'm the most important on the show and everything, <laughs> you are, man. You you are the you are the life. You're the wind beneath our wings. You, oh, we, please, we, we live vicariously through you. So, like, 
I, I'm boring now. Like that, <laughs> that's the truth. I'm boring now. Like I'm on. We must seven. be really boring then, because we, we, Rob and I, still think you live. You live an exciting life. I guess. <laughs> I'm all settled down, my girlfriend in an expensive apartment. Good and, stuff, dude. Yeah, well, yeah, Halloween was cool, though. Uh, we went. We were supposed to go to four different parties, and we got so wasted it ended up being two parties. <laughs> the, but the second one... Um, like, you had the expectation of four, but, you know, that's exactly. why we're saying your life's exciting, man. <laughs> but the, the second one we went to was her uh, her work party. And a fight broke out between a leprechaun and a guy dressed as Uncle Jeb from National Lampoon. <laughs> wait, oh wait, that's not the right guy. And you and went, you went as I went as Silent Bob. And uh, I mean, very I, I, I got yeah, I got a lot of praise about my costume. I, I feel like it was pretty spot on. Yeah, I, I you mean, nailed I, it. Thanks, dude. You didn't I, have a didn't have a J with you. No, I couldn't. I don't have any friends that look like Jay. Not even close. I mean, well, it, you look just like Silent Bob without a trench coat, though. So it was kind of just <laughs> kind of natural. Uh, yeah. Well, but if you, if you took the trench coat off, like at the skate park, that then because we had like a costume bash at the skate park, a bowl a pool party, and um, nobody knew who I was with the jacket off. They're like, "What are you supposed to be?" And I had to like put it back on for them. And they're like, "Oh." <laughs> so, what about yourself, Rob? How was your um, well, did you go trick or treating with the? No, I did. I got actually. I I missed most of it. I got home just in time to see like the tail end of trick or treaters coming to. Because yeah. we finally, this is the first time we've lived in a neighborhood where trick or treaters come in a long time. I was right. kind of excited about it, but uh, the kids did save me some good candy, so they know they know the routine. <laughs> They're better. Yeah. This is a hot neighborhood <laughs> for trick or treating too, man. There's there's like hundreds of kids in this neighborhood for Halloween. It's, yes, it's, it's, it's such a huge. Uh, just huge area, just mm-hmm. all residential. Yeah, yeah, I got I got my my usual Reese's peanut butter cups. I was happy. Yeah. I, I myself uh, really didn't do anything. Just worked all day and then uh, came home and went to sleep because the next day I drove down to Atlanta to go to the last day of the Walker Stalker Con. Oh yeah, I haven't seen you since then. How was it? It, you know, it was it was good. The uh, the Harp Twins were there, Luke. Yeah, as, I know. As, as I, I, I got I pictures. got some pictures from there. <laughs> <laughs> Luke loves the see, Harp Twins. See, who, who's the one living life on the edge? <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> you, you know, I'm used to going to these conventions, and, it, and it's been a long time since I've gone to a, to a conference, but. I'm used to going to these things where people like if we had gone to Paradise Symposium back in October, which we're still planning on going, you know, people would have been a lot more, I think, accessible. We would have been able to talk to people that you would care to, to speak to, uh, you know, the, like the, the speakers, you know, you could approach them later on. It just seemed that this thing, like you had the Walking Dead cast members that were there and I mean, it was just kind of obscene, the prices of some of the, like, to get a picture or to take a selfie with these, with, with these people just seemed like kind of like just a really obscene, obscene prices. Like I've got to, for instance, uh, this was in the line to see the guy who played the governor and uh, it said, autograph, $50, <laughs> selfie, $30. Awesome memory. Free. So so you get an autograph picture and he makes what I make in a day. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and multiply that by probably 
a shitload of people. I mean, <laughs> 500 people maybe because they're all flocking to see the main characters. People were waiting in line. You know, we're in this huge, uh, it was well, like the World Congress Center downtown Atlanta. The, it is the, this huge area. The $30 for a selfie is, is somewhat reasonable because, like, if there's someone that you, in a, a character that you really idolize, yeah. like in a show, you know, that's almost worth it. $30 ain't much anymore. But everything else, though, that's. But that's, an autograph, too? 50 yeah, the, bucks? That's, that's, yeah, that's dumb. You, 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 <laughs> that's, you know, that's I, dumb. I, I would even kind of disagree about the selfie thing. I mean, apparently, and my, my friend told me this that I went down there with, you know, he lives down in Atlanta. He told me that uh, the kid that played Carl, that plays Carl on The Walking Dead, like to get a picture with him was like $83. Do they get to get a picture with this kid? So, do they get paid to go to these? Is that the only money they're making? It, or I, I, it might be. I think they might be getting some kind of payment to to be there. Now, some of them actually live in Atlanta, so it's not like it was a huge deal for them <laughs> to come to the downtown, the World <laughs> Congress Center. You know, like I know the kid that plays Carl; he's from Atlanta, and a few other people that maybe they probably live there. We've been planning in, planning this for months. Yeah, they, they live there in that area. Well, all the shooting uh, is done. Right, all the shooting is done there, and there's people that are used, that that either they they come and they stay there, or there's other actors that are actually live there. Uh, there were some people that were that were a little more accessible, like some of the smaller characters, like the, not the not the major characters, but some of the more minor characters. They were, I think, a lot of them were kind of depending on probably making money off of autographs. And and a lot of people you didn't see a lot of people like flocking to them like you know it wasn't like Norman Reedus you know the guy who plays Daryl the most popular character on the show and it's just it was packed all day oh, over sure. there people waiting for hours and so, hours in line so to do get you this think there's more people at a picture a, with him you think there would be more people at a porn star convention or the, <laughs> or the one you're talking about <laughs> I'd probably say it might be just about equal oh, yeah. I mean this th- th- there was a whole bunch of people. At this thing, um, I did. However, I I went up and and actually spoke to because my friend and I were, we kind of had this idea that we wanted to if we were going to talk to some of these people, we should ask them about like some other projects that they're doing. And so this is kind of interesting. Kind of has something a little bit to do with our show. Uh, approached this guy named Steve Coulter. He plays anybody's a Walking Dead fan. He plays the guy uh, named Reg, who's like the leader of Alec. Well, the, the husband of the leader of Alexandria. This means oh, nothing yeah, to Luke. Yeah. But you guys know. You got, you, yeah, you know who Alexandria, I'm Tennessee, dude. I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> that, so, just right down but, the road. But he was also had a very bit part in, but kind of an important part in the movie Kill the Messenger about Gary Webb and the uh, – the the, expo- the the article he wrote called Dark Alliance about the exposure exposure of of drug sh- shipping drugs from Nicaragua up into the Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and he actually plays like a CIA guy that indirectly threatens Webb's family. So I walk up to him and I say, you know, you were really sinister in that movie, you know. And so we just started having this discussion about Gary Webb <laughs> and what he thought, and and you know, so that might be somebody I might think about getting on the show. You know, that was, in, that was in that movie. Uh, Rob, if you want a beer, man, I'll trade you one for like a shot or two. <laughs> this is the ambiance <laughs> we have on Conspiracy Normal. <laughs> but as far as as far as like, I just felt like it was kind of an impersonal thing. You know, like you really couldn't you really couldn't approach anybody. 
The Harp Twins did have their table, though. You could you could go talk talk to the Harp Twins. Uh, yeah, you don't need to be around the Harp Twins, dude. It's gonna. <laughs> 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 I was joking fast. with Rob. I so said we need to get the Harp Twins to do a Harp get ugly. Spirit Orville. Uh, it's it's going to get pretty or ugly, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> no, it'll be great, man. We'll get you to collaborate with them. Get some intro music. <laughs> exactly. I would love that. I'm not. I mean, I'm not saying don't go to these things. Like, it, it, but you, first of all, you're going to pay the cost of the admission, and then second of all, you're going to go in there and you're going to pay sixty something dollars to get somebody's autograph well, or to take and or to take a picture with them i just to me that's really not worth it what else was there other than bless you like thank you autographs and photos like what i mean what else do they have going on is there uh, yeah that's pretty much or, it well yeah, there there was panel there were some there were some panel discussions uh that were that they had so you could go and, you, and the, they had the the Governor and the guy who played Herschel, you know, they had a panel discussion with them and they had T Dog and they're supposed to have Michael Rooker who played Merle on the show, but he didn't even show up. <laughs> and so they had they had those guys and then they had like a smaller stage and one of which the Harp Twins played on. So But I can say that was probably the highlight of it was probably the probably the Harp Twins. For sure. Yeah. Would have been Luke's. <laughs> <laughs> They, I mean, they they do covers of Metallica and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, they do. So cool. Actually, I heard them playing. Um, what was it? Nothing else matters. <laughs> I, heard, I could hear that in the in the hall when they when they got started. So they go around to all those conventions, man. Because Walking Dead, Dragon Con, all that kind of stuff. That's just kind of like what they do. They've got it figured out. I wish I could do that for a living. Well, it's like it's like they're they're big in with like the whole science fiction and fantasy geek culture you know <laughs> i met a dude the other night i guess when you play harps i guess that's kind of how it goes you, you know that senpai guy that's uh that's trending right now you know because it's all an act you know he's not yeah, yeah. He, i guess he really is that nerdy but he's acting extra er, like nerdy for the youtube hits uh i met a dude just like that at waffle house the other night <laughs> <laughs> And, and this, this was it somebody trying to like copy him or something or just no no he he's just really that dorky <clears throat> like uh, uh, my girlfriend was sitting there trying to eat her meal and uh, he he's just hovering over just talking to her she can't even take a bite because she's having to like respond to every statement that, you know that he's making toward her and so she puts him off on me and she's like Luke likes anime and he like turns to me like all wide eyed and everything <laughs> oh really you like anime. <laughs> Well, have you seen this? Have you seen this? Have you seen this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but anyway, uh, there was over Halloween. There was a very important exorcism live that took place, and uh, we actually know some people that have been on this show that have have done this. Uh, Exorcism Live. I just wanted to read this. Uh, what is what is Exorcism Live? Okay, well, it's like there the, there was the Exorcist movie was based off of an actual case from the late forties. It was actually a little boy, not a little girl, as mm-hmm. was as was portrayed in the movie. Um, and in Saint Louis, there supposedly was an exorcism that started at a particular house and later moved to a mental hospital that was further into like downtown St. Louis and the house is still there. 
And I guess that it is being, I don't think that it's ever actually stood empty, but supposedly there's paranormal activity that happens there. And there's all these, uh, supposedly people have been frightened by that. And so they've, they've got new ownership and apparently they wanted to, I guess, get, uh, these people in to exercise the house. And a lot of people thought that the exorcism was going to be of a live person. That's what I had in mind. Yeah, mind. yeah. You, you see, that it, it's kind of like the terminology there is a little weird because normally exorc- exorcism is exorcism is like I would I've always thought was like more of a person. It's removing. Removing, yeah, like a house, like a house clean, like a house cleansing, is more like what they like they're doing. But, like, I saw somebody, you know, the Tennessee Ray Chasers are the ones that were involved with this. And they were the investigative team that they sent in there. And uh, somebody on their little uh, Facebook page had said, you know, why are you guys doing this? You're going to exploit somebody and make a lot of money? And I, I posted on there said, I think it's the house. It's not a person. You know, this is it. But apparently, this thing has been, it was widely, was widely panned on, on TV. I'll read this article here from uh, the Daily Mail. (laughs) The home where the most famous exorcism in U.S. history took place in 1949 entered the national spotlight again on Friday during an exorcism attempt that brought out trolls instead of evil spirits. During the Exorcism Live special on Destination America, Medium Chip Coffee, Bishop James Long, we've had Bishop Long on the show, and others teamed up to rid the house where the subject of the exorcist lived of, lived of evil spirits. Viewers of the show took to Twitter and began mocking the efforts of Coffee Bishop Long and the Tennessee Ray Chasers as they attempted to cleanse the home where Roland Doe once lived. Before the special began, the Tennessee Ray Chasers, who are known for their work on Ghost Asylum, had entered the house during the day to do a baseline sweep of the residence. Team members Chris, Doogie, Porter, Brandon, and Chasey Ray planned to enter the house at the bottom and work their way up before getting to the bedroom where Doe's exorcism took place. The team mentioned they had to be mindful to watch out for <clears throat> portals and vort- vort- vortexes because they were, yeah, it says vort- vortexes here, because they were warned the house might contain <laughs> trapdoors to Anyone other, can write an article to other dimensions and possibly even to hell. Well, actually, they've got it in quotes, so... Oh, he might have. Yeah, really I think you're said saying. Yeah, viewers were quick to mock the Ray Chasers for their outfits, accents, and failure to produce any real tangible results. Besides feeling a heaviness inside the house and having difficulty breathing, one Twitter user wrote, "It's hard to breathe." Two overweight guys just finishing the flight of stairs. Another <laughs> said, "Those tight feelings in your chest might be your shirt, shirt dude." Hashtag Exorcism Live. The special, which was hosted by Chris Jacobs, continued, and the team members went back into the house, but again found very little before unveiling a device called a Devil's Toy Box. A Devil's Toy Box is a six-sided cube with mirrors inside that can theoretically attract a demon to enter into it by using human bait. After it enters, the demon should become trapped in the mirrors. Someone wrote, What do you guys want to do tonight, eh? Let's piss off some ghosts and stick our buddy in a mirrored box of Satan. Another followed up, I cannot believe they got the cast of Duck Dynasty to do this. <laughs> As the show continued on with regular commercial interruptions, its viewers continued to mock it. The two-hour program wrapped up with a seance followed by an exorcism attempt in Doe's bedroom by Coffee and Bishop Long that produced a lot of chatter but very few tangible results. 
Despite the lackluster ending, the show tweeted out 66 years later, and finally the exorcism of this home is complete. The significance of, this, of, the six, of the 66 on the night before Halloween resonated with at least one viewer who tweeted, getting Chinese takeout to eat while watching tonight, and my total was $6.66. No one else really seemed impressed or scared by the symbolism of the 66 or the show in general. Doe, the subject of William Peter Blatty's 1971 book, The Exorcist, and subsequent 1973 film, briefly lived in the Belnor, Missouri house, and he is still alive. Now 80 and living in the Washington, D.C. area, he guards his privacy and declined to participate in the special. Similarly, the people now living in the St. Louis home vacated for the production and would not discuss their own experiences there. Well, so I'm going to ask you guys. Sounds like what uh, I want to be doing on my Halloween. <laughs> yeah, it was, the night, it was the night before Halloween. Uh, oh, oh, okay. That's what you, yeah. That's what you'd want to do. It, it, actually, people have compared this to. Some people compared it that it was said it was so boring. They compared it to uh, Al Capone's vaults, Rado Rivera's. If we remember that or know what that is, I remember it. I remember it. It was on the Geraldo Rivera show. Yeah, well, it was a, it was a special, oh, and Geraldo Rivera had gone, he was like, you know, top-notch reporter back in the day. And he went into Chicago, and they were going to open up Al Capone's secret vaults, right? And they didn't know, you know, what could, oh, be, what could be stashed in there. You know, was it going to be gold? Was <laughs> it going to be money? Nothing. Was it going to be the bodies of his murdered murdered girlfriends or something, you know? And, they, right. and the, they opened this thing up, right? And it's just garbage. It's just bottles and garbage. And and it was just one of the biggest like let boondoggles letdowns of of live television. <laughs> cut to commercial. Well, cut to commercial. I will say I I would rather a, a two hour boring special on ghosts than something where there's like a whole bunch of like hype and yeah. oh, it was something yeah brushed me on the shoulder or this like. Well, well here, here, Zach, here Zach Baggins. Here's one of the here's one of the things. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> First of all, you've got everybody says that people that that criti- one of the main criticisms of people that criticize these TV shows is that they're edited down, right? Mm-hmm. And they say, well, if you were actually going to watch it, you would probably be bored to tears because ghost hunting naturally is probably a very boring thing because not everything's going to happen. Not everything's going to be popping out at you. So when they, so when they edit it, they make it more interesting. Right, but I feel like I can tell when there's extra stuff thrown in there for drama yeah. or... You yeah. Know, and that's what really drives me away from Dude, those. did you just put your hands on me? It, in, in, in 2008... Is anyone there, on floor two? I heard something on floor two. <laughs> no one's on floor two. In 2008, the Ghost Hunters had a Halloween special. And they, they did this they did this special where they were walking around I don't remember it was like an old prison or an old hospital or something. And apparently Grant something was moving in the back of his shirt. And that got picked apart like ad infinitum on YouTube. People were saying that it was fake and they were basically accused of they were basically accused of faking evidence just to make things more interesting on the show. And I really think that that probably actually did so, happen. So I have a question for you guys. <laughs> how how often, even with your favorite shows, do you go instantly to social media and be like, 
Hey, did you guys see that one part at three fifteen? Yeah, like, <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> so, so I but kinda, they were they were kind of encouraging that on this show. They were saying like, if you see anything, make sure to tell them on Twitter. Uh, Let us know if got, you see got, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so they had, they had thousands of people on Twitter from, waiting man. for something and getting bored. And being right. Like, uh, Right, and then they start. Then they start dogging it on the. They start <laughs> that, dogging it. Trolls, exactly. Yeah, okay, exactly. The the title of this article actually is "Live TV Exorcism Fails to Call Up Any Evil Spirits," but it did bring out the Twitter trolls. <laughs> so here's some of the here's some of the tweets. All right, gang. I own some black clothes. I work out sometimes, and I have a southern drawl. Who wants to start a ghost team? I can't believe I could have spent the last two hours watching something scary, but wasted my time on exorcism live. Damn. Commercial break in the middle of the exorcism. <laughs> Great. Commercial break. Damn it. Commercial break in the middle of the exorcism. Good job, guys. The devil, the devil clearly needs a new Subaru and some, and some Kit Kats. Stop watching when people were actually tweet asking if their house can be haunted through the television. <laughs> <laughs> that was another thing too. People were saying like, "I'm I'm having weird stuff happening, man," in the in the, on the TV. So the big thing is, ask one of your cats. Destination America. Apparently, I mean this. That's kind of where all this ghost stuff has kind of been migrating to. Mm-hmm. So I'm just wondering if like, they. Do you think that there was the consciously that they were just trying to just stir up just just hype on this thing and just get ratings and well, just I no, I think they probably went into it genuinely and just they didn't come across anything and that's the right. risk you're gonna take with that kind of live exactly. thing. Exactly. But my my whole point is at least they didn't have a backup plan where like, well, if things don't start happening, we're gonna flip these switches and Yeah. You know, Stuff's you're gonna, gonna see start some talking. Stuff and then, yeah. At least they, at least they released a boring. I mean, at least you know they let a boring show go on live and let it be genuine. Sometimes right. boring. Yeah, and, and, and but people were criticizing that, and at the same, but at the same time, you people say, "Man, it's just not real enough." These shows, man. Like, well, that's that's the problem. That that is the real side of it. Like we said, it's it's an unedited version. It's gonna come off as boring. Yeah. <laughs> to to me. Uh, to me, it's boring watching anything like that, and I never do. Yeah. But but yeah. but if you're there first person, and you go into some old dilapidated ass house like out in the country somewhere, like far away from any kind of lights or anything, all you have like is you know is moonlight to get around. Well, they have flashlights and all that. We know. Still, still, it's freaky, dude. I, I mentioned that on uh, when we were on the leisure hour last week, the week before last. Yeah. You know. Which, by the way, we were we were on the leisure hour. That was really fun. But you know, I mentioned that like the the like the first season of Ghost Hunters, first, maybe first, definitely the first season, first and the second season. Like I thought it was a really good show. I thought you know it's like it, it was real. It was real honest because sometimes they would go in and they would find they would not find something. Oh yeah, and and, I saw episodes where they debunked stuff. Right, too, they would debunk I, stuff. I enjoyed that just as much as exactly. And, but then at a certain point, they kind of started getting away from some of that. And they started like, you could tell that they were auditioning people to be on the show. It wasn't like a whole like homegrown grassroots kind of thing. And like, yeah, TV productions are such a big elaborate thing that, yeah, that were a part of the team. They blown the whistle on it. Yes. Yeah. I don't watch anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing is that I, I, uh, Started fabricating the show. I've gotten bored with this kind of show. 
I've gotten real bored with these kind of these kind of ghost hunts. E- yep, so even if something is happening. The theme I'm is you should go up yourselves with a recorder in a scary dark building. Yeah. yeah if you really want exactly. to entertain it. And, and bring some interesting characters with you. <laughs> like Luke. Yeah. <laughs> We need to get Alyssa a mic. Yeah. I know, like there's just dead space on the air, like every time. Alyssa well, we talks. don't know that. We might be able to hear it. I offered her a mic. I was turned down. <laughs> well, this, this, I didn't know you guys were going to talk about this. I know about this. Stuff. Well, we got. Uh, we're rapidly hurtling towards episode 100. Yeah. And tonight is episode 97. And we have coming on Augie Nost. Yes, I learned how to pronounce it. <laughs> Augie Nost. He's Norwegian. I was just going to say, is he Norwegian? Yeah. And, because it sounds Norwegian. Yeah. He actually, and we're, it's going to be interesting. We're going to talk about spiritual science, among other things. So without further ado, guys, we're going to go to the interview. We'll be right back on Conspiracy Normal. Shazam. Welcome back to Conspiracy Normal, guys. And we just had a very interesting discussion with a uh, fourth party that I hope that Mike <laughs> picked up uh, about ghosts and uh, exorcism live and Halloween and The Walking Dead and all that good stuff. But right now we have on the line Mr. Augie Nost. And I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, he is uh, wrote a book called Spiritual Science and actually... Uh, was kind of surprised. He emailed me to ask to come on the show, and I'm very happy to have him. Uh, Mr. Dost, Augie, thank you for coming on Conspiracy Normal. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, I just kind of wanted to go back, kind of like your background and, and who you are, uh, just uh, the things that you've kind of like accomplished in your life. And I've also saw online that you built a UFO detector at the age of 12. Yeah, yeah, that that has become a big thing, actually. It really wasn't, but uh, it was kind of a, a wild hair at the time because I was been, always been very interested in UFOs or anything that is outside of the box in the paranormal. And uh, I, um, I had a compass that I was playing uh, a little bit with, so I realized that any time I had magnets close to it or uh, did some, you know, other things to it, then... Uh, and uh, the compass needle turned. So I started to think about that. And if there was anything affecting from a, an anti-gravity system, I imagine that it would create ripples in the Earth magnetic field. If there was ripples in the Earth magnetic field, it would turn a compass needle or at least wiggle it. Okay. So I the whole thing around a uh, compass and I hooked it up to a battery and a bell and a breaker switch and uh, you know so I put the cord and the wires on really close to the compass needle so if it turned even a little bit it touched the wires set off the electric circuit and the bell went off and by golly that thing worked there were three times that I remember that uh, it went off and I went outside and I saw something and my mom, she told me that it uh, went off several other times. So um, there is something there. And if people go to my um, my Facebook page, I have a very detailed drawing of it there. So people can actually uh, build their own. And uh, uh, you go to the hardware store, you can probably get the stuff for about 20 bucks or less. And then you can build one. What, what were some of the materials that you used? 
Uh, I'll just use the, it's got to be a compass with a metal casing. Okay. Because it attracts, you know, the metal for electric conductivity. And then I ran the, the wire from the casing to a, um, to the battery, from the battery to an electrical breaker switch, a small one. And then from there on through a bell or an alarm of some type, it can be used. And then back to the compass where I split up the wire and put it on both sides of the, um, of the compass needle. So it's pretty simple. It's very easily understood uh, when you see it on the, uh, on the Facebook page. And, and you were 12 years old when you did this. Well, yeah, I, I might have been 13. I'm not sure, but okay. I think I was about 12. Okay. And you're originally from Norway, right? Yeah, I grew up in Norway. I was, uh, I was grew up on a farm over there and, uh, I went to agricultural college over there. That's where our neighbor was, actually. And uh, then uh, at the age of 25, I left Norway and went to the United States to go to flight school and uh, got all my certificates and ratings and became a flight instructor for multi-engine instrument and, uh, you know, all the things that you can get. And I started working as a flight instructor. And then later on, uh, me and a partner, we started a flight school. I grew into an international air taxi and that became an air carrier in Minneapolis up at the Inoka County Airport. Okay. And yeah. how did you start getting into some of the uh, the ideas that uh, that you write about in your, in your book? Oh, um, I've always been interested in these things, but the uh, the majority or a lot of the stuff that you will find in the book uh, the uh, you know, the uh, spiritual science, higher consciousness thinking, and how to access the universal consciousness. It came to me, I, I've been meditating for all oh, probably about 50 years or so. And um, when you sit in meditation, you get a lot of the stuff that comes to you. But this was different. Uh, I had uh, a download, so to speak. That's what I'm calling it. And that's where the, the universe was put into my mind. And uh, it seemed to be that uh, a lot of it was right there, a full understanding, both in concept and detail. And uh, and the next three days, I, I realized that, you know, I can't lose this. So I got to write it down. And I sat there and wrote for three days, plus or minus things that I had to do. And uh, after I was done writing, I looked at that and I said to myself, you know, I, I can't write about this. People will think I'm nuts. And then I uh, talked to another man that was uh, there and uh, he was level-headed, uh, well-educated man. And he said, no, no, no. He says, that makes perfect sense. He says, uh, there's a book at the library. Go get it. Uh, and uh, in fact, uh, that book, it's called... Uh, the one I was talking about, he was talking about is the self-aware universe, the title of the book. And uh, in there, it says, uh, they talk exactly about what you are, um, what, what you have written here. So uh, I went and did that, read it, and now I realized that I could write about it because I could back up what I had seen with uh, quantum mechanics and science. So a lot of that is um, in the book. And, uh, of course, quantum mechanics doesn't go as far enough what I'm concerned. Uh, I go a little further in my, uh, 
in my statements about the details behind the equations and so on. I leave the equations alone because, first of all, people have a hard time with that and I don't understand. And so if I don't understand, I shouldn't bother anybody else with it. Gotcha, gotcha. I, I was curious yeah. about uh, one thing I wanted to ask you about was this uh, radio station that you were involved with. Uh, I saw that there's a, actually a preview on YouTube uh, from a, mo- a documentary called Making Waves. And, and I guess yeah. this was kind of like a, a like a pirate radio station. I did myself doing podcasts. It kind of like really interested me about that you had this experience uh, with this station. Like, what is it still around? I mean, and, 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 are you still like kind of kind of involved with it? No, no, I'm not involved with that. That is uh, that's long gone now. Okay. I um, what we did, we uh, we did a lot of research and we found out on the law that uh, the um, FCC they do not own the airways. In fact, they have no authority over the airways, and probably still do not, unless that it is authority given to them by someone that applies for a license. So we thought, hmm, there are several other radio stations in the country that do not have a license, but they operate perfectly well. So we went and did the same thing. And that became kind of a big thing because I, uh, at the same time, uh, you know, we ran this radio station, mostly talk radio about, you know, freedom-related issues and things like that. And then uh, at the same time, I got on the ballot and ran for Congress. So that's why it became kind of a little bigger thing than what it really it was. What what party did you run? Like, what kind of, like, platform did you run for Congress? Uh, I was uh, selected by the, the Libertarian Party to be on the ballot in the 2000 to run for the uh, House of Representatives in Washington. Okay. I mean, do you consider yourself politically politically libertarian? Uh, well, um, this probably uh, well, it's closer than any of the others. But uh, libertarians, they have their deficiencies also. So, I guess, yeah, in a way, I could say that. But uh, I don't even know anymore. I don't, right. you know, I. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that because voting, uh, it's basically worthless because they control the back door to the voting uh, system so that numbers can be changed. That's why in Arizona, uh, two years ago, the one little town had 427% turnout for their voting in that town. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah, Luke's nodding his head when you're saying that voting is kind of useless. I've always known it's worthless. Yeah, so you know, you know, the numbers are padded in whichever direction that they wanted to go, and uh, of course, you know, <laughs> ask George Bush about that. You know, he, you know, all about it. Well, I mean, maybe <laughs> in Florida, you know, how that what that happened. Right. And some people suspect Ohio as well. Yeah, in two thousand four. Yeah. So the radio station is is no longer it's no longer around now. Is it is it gone? Yeah, yeah, there we, uh, we we actually, uh, huh, boy, oh boy, uh, we were firebombed. Uh, somebody burned the place to the ground, just about. Really? And uh, yeah, because we were, uh, you know, we were kind of a little more aggressive on local political issues than maybe we should have, uh-huh. and we get very powerful enemies, and uh, they took care of that. Even though we, that was rebuilt and we transmitted after the fire, so. 
but we realized that uh, it really didn't make much difference, so we uh, ended it. Okay. Yeah, it seemed like a very interesting. Like the, I'd, I'd love to see the documentary. It seemed like a very interesting uh, kind of kind of story there. I guess there was a lot yeah. of uh, were were a few. I, I saw in the preview that like some people. It seemed like there's a part where uh, it showed a pol- somebody stopped by the police and said, "Are you arresting me?" Like, is, did something happen to somebody that got got arrested? No, not because of that. No, that was other thing. That was a traffic ticket later on that somebody got. No, that's just okay. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was just wondering whether it was like that, that much to like to silence the people that were involved with the station or not. Yeah, well, the FCC came and visited us, and we had a nice chat at the door, and I um, served them some papers right there, and they left, and we didn't hear anymore. So it worked okay. Yeah. Well, let's get into a little bit about the book. I, I want to talk about, you know, what uh, what do you mean by spiritual science? Uh, what does that term uh, term mean to you, and and how does it differ from, like, I'd say, other forms of science? Well, um, I always say that we have three forms of sciences. One of them is physical science, and. Uh, Oh boy, you know, we, we think we got this one figured out. We, uh, we have uh, an airplane that travels three to about five, six times the speed of sound, and uh, we have a clock that winds itself. And, and even more than that, we got a used car sitting on the moon that they used in 1969 to get astronauts getting around. So, yeah, physical science, we think we know how to do well. And then there is mental science. Mental science, that is things like photographic memory we know it exists because there are some that has it in fact uh, 20 some years ago i used to teach it but um and then there is eidetic memory and there is uh mind techniques and things like that it's mental science but then we have spiritual science i call it spiritual science it overlaps very closely with quantum physics because what I think happens to the um, theoretical physicists when they sit and stare at equations when they on the blackboard, they don't see the equa- the written equations. They see concepts, and when they sit there and stare at those equations, to looking for answers, then the universal consciousness open up and give them answers. That's what I call, outside of the physical, I call it a spiritual science. And uh, I'm not the only one that's calling it that. There's others, too, that using that term. And I think it is coming more and more prevalent as time go on because we get a better understanding of the, uh, of the extra physical realities out there. Okay. I think the uh, we're growing into it, and uh, there's a lot of things that the theoretical physicists um, are discovering, but it is not in the mainstream science, and they don't dare talk about it yet, because if it's too controversial, first of all, they can lose their credibility, and they can lose the tenure with the uh, universities they're working, and uh, it can hurt them. You know? So uh, they got to be a little careful make small step forward in the, the right direction. And we're way behind when it comes to that. What would be a good example of something like that, that they, that they would be uh, like reticent to talk about? 
Well, what about this concept that uh, we are calling this is a universe we live in, right? right? Well, yeah, it is, but we're not the only universe out there. Uh, a few years back here, then um, Stephen Hawking, he came uh, uh, from you know Cambridge University in England. He came and he says, well, I think we can prove on the blackboard now that we have at least, I think he said seven to ten different universes. Okay. okay, before that, they said, absolutely not. This is it, boy. This is the only universe there is, because that's all we can see. Well, now they're opening up to more universes. And after a while, they're going to open up to more. They're going to open up to the fact that there are thousands and thousands of them. Every time that we start creating new decisions that goes in a different direction. We create a different timeline that also creates a different reality that turns into a universal existence for us as we move forward. Could that make sense? It does make sense. You know, that, that is one thing in, in quantum physics that each, each choice that we make could potentially spawn off a different, a different universe. Uh, is yeah. there a way to access these different universes? Uh, yes, it is. Absolutely, it is. And that is done uh, for, the, uh, for the beginners. That is done through meditation. So you've got to learn how to shut down the clutter in your mind that blocks the information from that universal consciousness from traveling through the superconscious mind into the subconscious mind up to the conscious mind and being displayed in conscious understanding. As long as we, you know, most of our minds, you know, even doing trivial things during the day, our mind is going 90 miles an hour and we have all these private conversations in our head. Some of them are good and some of them are not so good. Right. But uh, if we get rid of that, if we empty the conscious mind out, now there is a path from the subconscious all the way up to the conscious mind where it can display itself. Twenty-some years ago, I used to teach a mind development course uh, that is now called Zox Pro, Z-O-X-P-R-O. And what we taught there is to actually assimilate information out of a book that they read of and it's some 50 to 100,000 words per minute with 95% retention. And we taught the principles of uh, photographic memory. And the thing is that that stuff works. But science don't want that. They're scared of it. School system don't want to touch it because if you get kids at the age of 14 having two PhDs, what in the world do you need teachers for? So, so you're saying somebody could just pick up a book and, and just read it in the course of like a minute? Well, it's going to take a little more than that, probably three or four minutes, because okay. you got to turn pages. So um, as fast as you can turn the pages, if you are able to see the whole pages, right and left, right. then you slow down your mind and you empty your, your conscious mind out. So now the then your mind takes a mental picture of those two pages and stick it directly through the conscious into the subconscious mind and store it in long-term memory right away. Okay. So you focus on the pages, and now it's in long-term memory. So later on, 
when you want to retrieve some of it, you use triggers and you go to long-term memory to retrieve it from there to bring it up to conscious understanding. It's kind, of like, it's, it's kind of like your brain yes. is like a file system. Absolutely. Okay. It's, it's, it really is a file system. You know, the computers are built on the same system as the brain was designed. You've had um, students successfully do this? Uh, I'm sorry, say again? You've had students successfully do this? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Just every everybody could do that. Well, everybody. First of all, they have to understand the language. And uh, I had kids coming in uh, that was so dyslexic. One particular kid coming in, he was so dyslexic that he couldn't. Uh, we, we do a reading test first. We have them read for five minutes and we count the words. In five minutes, he was about uh, half of a paragraph, about four or five lines down the first page, and he could not remember what he had read. One week later, he was reading with the rest of them. There were no difference. He was scoring in the 80s and the 90s on the test that we gave him on the material that he had gone through. So this stuff works. It's just that it is not recognized in the major system because it interferes with cash flow. Schools are... uh, Pretty much indoctrination uh, institutions where there is a jobs program. They want to make sure that nothing interferes with the jobs of the teachers. This would. Right. Uh, yeah, I'd say so. And, and um, not, to, not to mention the, the obvious effort to just kind of dumb down the population. You know, you, you don't want everybody being on the same level in a capitalistic society, like, you know, having the same level of intelligence. And being a threat to those who, who, uh, you know, the small percentage that actually control big business and everything. Yep, you got it. It's all about the money. Uh, that's what it usually comes down to, isn't it? <laughs> have you ever accessed one of these parallel universes? Have you ever, have you ever met like the the parallel universe version of yourself? In that download that I had, I saw a lot of it. Okay. And uh, there is one that is next to us right now, uh, where we are, and it is basically empty, except for uh, it looks like the terrain in the wilderness with the trees and grass and stuff like that, but there are no people. It. Uh, I got to think about that afterwards. Maybe this is something that is prepared for us once we start uh, getting to a higher level of consciousness where we leave this place where we are at, we could walk into that one. That's very possible. Why? The surface of that particular earth that is parallel to us there is uh, the surface is about 5,000 feet above us right now. So um, it's slightly bigger than this earth is. But so, there are many different timelines going into different corners of the universe. So, I mean, uh, many different timelines. One timeline ended in, uh, well, it didn't end totally, but um, Earth was hit by an asteroid in 1975, and uh, for the next years it destroyed all life. These things are out there in the parallel timelines. And you've you've seen this this universe, like that universe... Where the Earth that was destroyed was, by an asteroid. It was depicted in that download, yeah. Huh. Very interesting. Very yeah. interesting. But, but like you yourself, you've not, you, have you encountered uh, or seen yourself, but in like different situations than what you would be 
normally in? I, uh, when it comes to the future, there is a way you can go and have a look at it. And in the back of the book, in the last chapter, I explain how to do that. There is, um, I had a, um, the mind, you know, you know, to, to answer that one, let me just back up a little bit and then I'll answer that question for you. Right. Because when it comes to the mind, really very few people understand what the mind is. Um, science basically is not even sure we have one. They know we got a brain and they think the brain might be creating everything that is happening. Well, it's partially true that the mind creates what's in the brain. Let's put it this way. Um, uh, let me set the stage for you. So I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. Science found that matter and energy cannot be created from nothing, right? That's true. Yeah. Then again, we have some of the sharpest people on the planet, like Stephen Hawking out of Cambridge University in England and most other theoretical physicists. They are now agreeing that their equations on the blackboard using quantum mechanics prove this universe we are living in was created from nothing. Now, yeah, if this whole the big bang, is, I guess, yeah. Yeah, if the whole universe was created from nothing and you are in this universe created from nothing, what are you? Well, I mean, it's kind of unsettling. I don't really want to think of myself as nothing, but I <laughs> guess <laughs> I'd hope I'd be something. Yeah, I paused on purpose there because yeah. I wanted people to think. You see, the thing is that it, physically there is nothing because there's only one thing that can create that, and that is thought. Mental projection of something that appears real. The mind creates this forward videographic or holographic existence around you. And that's why there is no limitation to what the mind can create if you understand what it is and know how to work with it and how to work it. You can actually create miracles, what people call miracles, from basically nothing. But there is something out there because, hey, if you're cutting tomatoes, you cut yourself, it stings, doesn't it? So right. there is something. This is the hologram, and there are several things out there explaining the holographic universe. Uh, quantum mechanics talk about it, and they prove it in the equations. And it's just that this old dogma of belief come up from ages past and specifically hardened through religion is that this physical universe is the only thing physical there is, and then you go on to a spiritual life and you go to heaven or you know, the other place downstairs, and that's all there is. No, that's not true. There is more to it than that. Okay. So what our minds are creating in the past, present, and future outside of the physical reality there is no such thing as time. It is all happening right now. It is sitting there in this soup of creation as potentials for existence and creation. So since there is no time there, there is no distance between the past and the present and the future. It is all in that soup. So what if we think of something with strong emotion, love, and intention. That is not just thoughts. Those are energy patterns that imprint themselves on the future and the present 
and it can imprint itself on the past because there is no distance between the past and the future. It's only now, the way that we perceive it. Yeah, we create it in our mind because our mind creates everything. So we create the past, present, and the future. So now, if we go and say, visualize something in the future that we really want more than anything else, we have now visualized this. Let's say we visualize it with strong pictures and colorful images. We do it with intention that this is going to happen and I'm going to make it happen. And then you pour love into it. Love is the most powerful force in the universe because that is all there is. And now you have in the future that thing you want, you have created an image of it. You have given it a low form of life. You have given it a location. If you associate that thing with a time-coded event, you have even created a timeline to a completion of it. So every time you go back, do this every day, go back to it and you solidify it by thinking about it and visualizing again in detail and concept and pictures and so on. Now you lay down attractor strings to that thing in the future. So it gets more solid, locked into your timeline. And then, of course, you go out and do everything you can in your physical arena to make sure that this can happen in the future. Prepare for it. And you do this day after day after day. Every day you got to do it. And when that time, let's say a year from now in the future, closes in on you, you have prepared, done what you can to make it happen. The universe does it, its part. And when that day comes... Let's say it's a Christmas party or you make an announcement that you have accomplished this or whatever. Then these two timed locations are joining into one and you walk into the future event you have created in your mind. So, this is so if I was to say that, well, I, I want to get a, a better job and I visualize that. Yeah, And eventually I get to the point where I've made the effort to, to, to do that. But let's say I get to that job that I want and then all of a sudden I don't get that job. Or maybe some like random chance happens. Is there room for, for that kind of randomness to, to occur? Or, or will I just get that job because my intent is so, is so on that, that one thing? It could happen because there, within this concept of timelines and time and future events, there is a wild card. Yeah. And that is previous arrangements that you have made with the universe or yourself, prepared for yourself while or before you entered physical reality. Let's say that if somebody have a specific event that they are supposed to learn from, yeah. you don't know what it is yet, but you can see something happening that this would be wonderful if I had done, but then you start doubting it. And you outside of the physical 
Vina in that spiritual realm or in the quantum field. You start doubting it and you create a different alternate future. Lay down, let's say that you think in a different way for a different reason, create a different thing. Now you can create a different timeline to that one so you bypass the first one that you may have wanted. So there are some previous arrangements that it's very difficult to get around and those can, uh, let's say somebody end up with cancer. Yeah. That's one of the things that nobody wants, but there may have been an arrangement before or outside of the physical arena where your consciousness made, soul, some people would call it, made the arrangement they wanted the experience of having it. Because outside there, there's no such thing as good experiences and bad experiences. There are just experiences. See, that's the one, that's one of the things that, I, I, and I'll, I'll be honest with you here, I, I have a problem with some of that, uh, with some of that philosophy, because I, I, it, it's hard to think of that, that, that we would want horrible, bad things to happen to us. And that we would, yeah. as a soul, uh, make that occur somehow, and, and I'm not, I'm not necessarily talking about a life lessons because I, I do believe that there are some of those that maybe, uh, maybe we go through those for a reason, or God makes that happen, or we we set that up. But like, like someone gets cancer and 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 dies, or someone is killed in 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 war, or somebody's killed killed randomly or what I would receive as randomly. It's, it's kind of hard to get your, your head around that. But that yeah, that's very hard. That's hard to get our heads around because it is so ingrown in us right. that this physical reality is really all that we have. And what, what it comes down to is that nothing really dies. Your consciousness does not die. It moves on into a different reality, and your I body agree, yeah. changes form. It doesn't it doesn't get obliterated. It changes forms. It goes back to something different, and then it comes back again if you were to take Re on a new body. Then recycle the mind, everything. Right, you're saying recycled, Luke. Recycled. <laughs> yeah. Now, see, when the mind creates the body, the perception of the body is all there is. There is nothing physical. And uh, quantum mechanics is with me on this one. Uh, there is nothing physical except for the perception of it. And uh, what that comes down to is that whatever we have in our mind, whatever we create in our mind is what we will have in our life. People that are negative thinkers all the time, they uh, very rarely create positive things in their life. We know that. And people that uh, do things to themselves, like drink coffee and booze and, you know, whatever, they will probably end up dying early from some type of disease because they have mistreated themselves. Yeah, of course, we do make our choices there, don't we? <laughs> and, of course, you know, uh, what we know now is that uh, aging even is a disease and it can be cured. Medical science says so. Yeah, this is an interesting aspect of your work that I've heard you speak about in some other interviews. Like, what is are are we looking at a point where we're going to reverse the aging process? 
Uh, yeah, in, in fact, uh, in uh, 2009, uh, three doctors got the Nobel Prize for discovering an enzyme that reverses the aging process. And uh, if you want to do some research on this, you can go to the Nobel Committee over in Oslo, Norway, and um, uh, go to 2009, scroll down until you get to medical sub submissions, and look at the papers. And somewhere in those papers, there are several of them, uh, somebody sent it to me before I went and read it, but somewhere in there it says one of the doctors made the comment that by taking... No, no, yeah, yeah by, by taking or having enough of this enzyme in the body, there would really never be any reason for anybody dying from old age anymore. Okay. Now, when I read that, my light bulb went off. It told me, get the enzyme. And, of course, I'm doing that now. So, uh, so you're taking this? I am doing what it takes, yeah, because I also found uh, there is capacity for old age. In the mid-1950s, there was a Chinese university professor that came to New York and uh, on an exchange program. Yeah. And uh, evening, he went out with colleagues and had dinner, and he got food poisoning and died. Well, <laughs> that's a shame, but um, they started to go through his paperwork uh, at the morgue, and they said, wait a minute, this isn't right. According to his passport, he's 154 years old. And they called the ambassador and asked him, how can that be? And the ambassador told him, uh, well, first, he did not believe he could die. And then later on, it also came out that he didn't eat like normal people. He only ate Chinese herbs and berries. That's all he used to eat for food. And I found out what he ate, so... It is uh, kind of unique, actually. If you want to know, I'll tell you. Yeah, absolutely. Please. Yeah. Um, he ate uh, the herbs of, there's a Chinese girl called Ling Shi. And then goji berries. You're familiar with goji berries, yeah. Yeah, I, I used to eat them a lot. And then... Wild ginseng. Okay. And then he ate he show Wu. Wu with W, U. <clears throat> and he also ate Gotukula. And then there is um, one that uh, he ate that's Astragalus. And that is probably the more, oh, probably the more important one, astragalus. And um, then there is an herb that is uh, called, uh, that's all that was listed for him. But um, if it was me, I would add a few things to it. I would also take this uh, Chinese herb, they call it the, um, the immortality herb. And um, I'm just, I had it laying here. I laid that one out for you. Now I can't find it. Well, okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll come up with it. Like uh, important one. <laughs> <laughs> I just found out about this one. See, a friend of mine over in Germany, he said, let me, uh, Klaus over there, he told me about it. Luke, but, what do you um, think about that? Uh, I, you know, he, 
what what he's saying right now, uh, you know, it it does resonate pretty well with me because you know I I find myself that the biggest loss of energy that I have every day is is after meals, and it doesn't matter if I, I mean, because I started cooking everything that I eat in my kitchen, like I stopped eating as much fast food. But still, you know, yet I try to buy the healthiest things within, you know, monetary reason. But still, I feel like drained of energy after every meal. Yeah. Yeah, I can understand that because uh, all your blood goes to the stomach to digest the food. So it leaves the body. And um, I tell you, though, I, I've done another thing that also I read some medical research out of Germany that uh, they said that everybody that ate one uh, bowl of oatmeal every day of their life lived on the average of 11 years longer than people that didn't. And of course, I've done that too. So since I was probably about 40 years tall, I mean, since I remember. Yeah. You uh you hear these stories about um you know uh Chinese people monasteries you know to do with monasteries and stuff like that that uh, lived two hundred plus years sometimes you know it's uh, uh, as far back as like ancient China you know Chinese some some books. of this yeah. yeah so some of the some of the reading that we have from back then uh, talks about people living uh, two and even as far as like three hundred years. And I, I, it's believable. It's totally believable because if you if you um, decrease the amount of um, you know punishment that you're doing to your body and your in your lifestyle, and if you continue that throughout your, I mean, like it's it's very believable that you that you could make it to 200 years old. You know, exactly. And uh, yeah, you must have found out some of the same things I did because. Um I found a man in China that was 256 years old. He uh, was a Chinese herbalist and a martial art teacher, and his name was Li Xing Yan. And uh, I think seem to remember he had 23 wives and over 200 grandchildren over his life. And he, the official Chinese birth records saw uh, he was born in 1677. Wow. And uh, but he, he died in an accident in the um, early 1930s, and that was written up in the New York Times at the time, and they also published some of these government records and uh, made a big thing. One of them was uh, a gratulation from the uh, emperor uh, on his 150th birthday, and from a different emperor at his 200th birthday. And again, he didn't die of old age anyway. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it is real. It, it does happen. But gosh, you know, in the Western world, you know, this don't happen. So, uh, you know, it's just poo-poo. They don't want to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, I think the most, like, the on record for the Western world is probably like 120 years old, maybe even 130. I know some people in uh, 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 Georgia, the, the former Soviet Republic, that they can live, those people can live around like 130, 140 years old on record, some of them. Yeah, and National Geographic went into uh, into South America in the 1930s and found a tribe down there where the average age in that village was 130 years old. Hmm. And um, well, the, the of adults, we 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 seem to have this misconception about those those scattered tribes too. Uh, 
we seem to have the the notion that they don't they don't last that long that they only make it to about 25 30 years old most of the yeah. time or or maybe 40 yeah. 40 yeah I was exaggerating a little there and they're quote unquote backwards right yeah <laughs> Yeah, they. Uh, I wonder which one of them, either them or us, are backwards. Uh, <laughs> they were. We don't. I wanted to ask you about. Uh, this is right up Luke's alley here. I wanted to ask you about fluoride, about the prevalence sure. of fluoride in our water and, and how that could be affecting us. Well, fluoride is one of the most toxic substances on earth, and the EPA do not let. Um, well, it's a byproduct of the aluminum industry and a couple of other industries that get that. But it's so toxic that the EPA doesn't let them dispose anywhere unless it is enclosed in glass or concrete. In the past, uh, I used to, I flew for a living for 23 years. And um, there were times when we had uh, a, a, a barrel of fluoride flown to different places for the cities to put in the water. And when those uh, small barrels came, they were yellow with black stripes on it and skulls and bones on four sides of it. And it says on there, if you touch it with bare hands, wash your hands thoroughly with soap and water and call poison control. Yeah, absolutely. That is just and this stuff is so toxic that they won't let them dispose of it anywhere, but they've got to get rid of it somehow, so they put it in your water. <laughs> uh, you, you can look at the MDS data sheet, and uh, right there it, it will tell you how toxic it is. The toxicity level is, is pretty high. <laughs> I like the fact yeah. that when you go to buy a water filtration system, it brags that it doesn't remove fluoride. That still boggles my mind. Like People just... And it's coming for you. In fact, uh, they are now starting to lift uh, fluoride as, an, as a neurotoxin, actually, in, uh, in Europe. And it's, there's a lot of stuff that is changing in the attitude towards the way we treat from the environment. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's pretty disturbing once you start doing some research into it. Uh, what's, what's that? The National Fluoride Research has their own website with a lot of controlled tests that they've done that just, uh, the, for me, it's, it's proof that it does absolutely nothing for your teeth, which is the excuse here for putting it into our water supply. Yeah, because that particular survey, they are quoting saying that, Oh yeah, it's good for your teeth because the survey, uh, testing showed that. Well, yeah, but what you need to do is to go back and find out who financed the survey or the testing. Mm-hmm. It was a chemical company <laughs> that yeah. produced fluoride. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and even if even if you do get your hands on a water filter that that doesn't claim that it leaves the fluoride, um, still the fluoride molecules are so small that it it, it slips through the filter most of the time. You know, it, that worries me. Like, I, I use a couple of different filters. I have one on the sink, and I have the pitcher, too. So I run it through the sink filter and the pitcher. But I, I still am doubtful that it's removing, like, every bit of fluoride and chlorine. Yeah, they are so small that uh, I doubt that it is anything except uh, you have to distill the water in order to get rid of it. Right. 
You know, I mentioned this uh, Chinese immortality herb. Yeah. I found my little post-it note here where I wrote it on. <laughs> here it is. And let me tell you what it is. And that is one thing that I would add to the list of the other things that uh, people will take. And that is um, jagalan herb or jagalan tea. It works best as a tea, in my, I'll be told. I'll spell it for you. That's J-I-A-O-G-U-L-A-N. Jagalan tea. Yeah, it's uh, it's a strange name, but uh, that's what it is. And uh, I get most of my stuff from uh, a place. Um, Piping Rock is the name of the herbal company. I get my stuff from PipingRock.com. And uh, didn't mean to advertise for them, but I'm sure they <laughs> don't. Right. Mind. It's no problem. I'm sure they don't. Uh, I'll ask you about since we're on the subject of fluoride. You know, what is the role of the pituitary gland? Uh, you know, it, how do we how can we use that to access some of the, the some of the realms that you that you're you're speaking of? And the reason I ask that is we've talked a lot about ayahuasca on this show, and how that and DMT and how that affects or how that actually is produced by the pituitary gland. Yeah, yeah. the uh, The pituitary gland is the gateway to the universe, and it appears the way I had understood it as uh, all communication with the universe and the quantum field come through there. And I know there are some people that even call it the, the God Center. Uh, so there's something in there that opens up the door for us to communicate with other worlds or other dimensions. Aren't, aren't, and, the, uh, aren't the pituitary gland and the, uh, the pineal gland two different parts of the brain? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But in the center of the brain, one is down below the other one, I guess, uh, in right in front of the lower hypophysis in the back of the kind of brain there. But uh, the um, the calcification of both those two glands are uh, coming, a lot of it, from the regular calcium that is getting through, and also the um, fluoride. Fluoride will destroy the capabilities of the pituitary gland. And uh, it seems like um, it is encouraged because if people are just earthbound and don't think about anything higher, then they're easier to control because they're controlled more so by fear. Once you have uh, a little more access to spiritual knowledge, then you could start thinking on your own a little more and you may not be as easy controlled. So... You know, it's, you know Hitler in the um, in the concentration camps over in uh, Germany. He used fluoride to uh, feed the prisoners because they got docile and they didn't have so many uh, protests and yeah, disagreements. That is, that is true. They popped it into the water supply in the concentration camps. Yeah, that is yep. true. I, I wanted to ask. Let's 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 turn the let's well, turn the thing. Well, one, one sec before you do that. Okay, all right, no uh, problem. Do yeah, I've been seeing these these articles about turmeric being able to decalcify the pineal gland. Do you uh, what do you think about that? I don't know about turmeric in that particular uh, 
uh, need for it. I know it's probably one of the strongest cancer fighters on Earth. That's the reason that there's extremely, uh, very little cancer in India because they eat a lot of the turmeric. So uh, I don't know about how it works on the, it very likely could be, I just don't know anything about that for the pituitary or the pineal gland. That's interesting. In, in, in India, there's a lower rate of cancer. Because, uh, have they linked it to? They've linked it to that. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But I wanted to, let's let's move into something really controversial. Let's move into religion. This is always fun. You talk about in the book uh, about kind of like the nature of 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 Jesus and kind of like the origins of mankind. And let's kind of go into some of that that you that you talk about there in the in in the book. Okay, you asked. <laughs> <laughs> totally okay. Uh, we got to think about um, let's when we talk about religion. You know that according to the UN, there's about three thousand different religions on Earth. Yeah. Well, we um, we know that two thousand nine hundred ninety nine of them they're all wrong. It's only yours that is right. We know that. <laughs> With gotcha. tongue and cheek here. Gotcha. gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> the, let's say religion. Let's take an example like the Catholic Church. Um, when I ask people who wrote the Bible, and they say, well, the apostles did. Well, they didn't. Religion is such, it's run as a government, has the same facets of it. Demand for financial support, demand total obedience, demand to believe the doctrine, and uh, all the things that is a requirement for government is present in religions. Right. So we should draw the parallels. But the the uh, Christian religion that's probably the one I'm more familiar with because I've studied it. Uh, more than others, and it was created in 325 back in Constantinople, Turkey, where uh, actually Nicaea back then. And uh, the reason they did that, they, they, uh, the emperor Constantine, he had fires, he had uh, wars, and he had problems all around the Roman Empire. And he looked at the Jews. And he saw how united they were in their faith and how they supported each other. They never had infighting much. And he wanted that for the Roman Empire. So he got about 224 different uh, scholars and learned people of the time, and he told them, go to Nicaea and you will create a religion that will join together and unify the Roman Empire and do not come back until you have done so. They spent several years, they went through 9,000 scrolls and papers, uh, papyrus actually, or uh, tablets and old writings, and they um, took what they wanted and discarded what they didn't want, burned the original, rewrote it, and called the rewrites the original. And that was later on, they decided that this is what we're going to teach, and they couldn't really agree on it. So until about 
60 years later at the uh, Council of Hippo, that's when they decided that this is going to be the final draft of what we are called the book, and later on became the Bible. And guess what? When they come to Jesus, they had they couldn't agree on that either, so they had a vote. They voted whether they should give him deity status or not. And uh, well in their mind was what the uh, Roman emperor had told them, do not come back until you have done so. There were three people that wrote in the, in the records from the meetings over there. They said that we haven't seen anything in these uh, writings that... Um, that he's any different than a regular man. And of course, they were immediately grabbed and they were transported to the very northern part of the Roman Empire and exiled. Wasn't now, a, oh, sorry, go on. Yeah, uh, what I was going to say about religion further is that it takes on a life of its own, just like governments does. And you start taking more and more and more and more from the people until there is nothing left. And then the people rise up and they shrug off the, uh, the oppressors and then they start over again. That's how empires fall. And in 475 or something like that AD, then the Roman Empire just ceased to exist. And the Roman Empire, as a large one, they are still actually there. Guess where the Roman Empire is now? It is at the Vatican. Yeah, a lot zero of point, Right. Zero one seven square mile of land is the only thing left of the Roman Empire, and that's where the Vatican is. Yeah. Well, I mean, so they kind of they kind of took a lot of the same structures of the Roman Empire, just kind of translated it into the into the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah, they did. And the thing about it is uh, Yahshua Bethalachma, which is Jesus' Hebrew name, uh, he was a hardcore Jew. I mean, not Jew, but a, um, a um, yeah, he was in the Jewish faith, very much so. But the thing is that he was not a Christian. I wonder how that change came about. It is well, I mean, he's generally considered was considered a Jew. Yeah, I mean that's that's true. Yeah, and uh, the thing is that if you go back even further, the word God that dates back to the Babylonians. The word God in the old Sumerian language meant great leader, and the word angel. That was messenger. And uh, so then when it says in the Bible that God sent an angel to speak to so-and-so, that wasn't necessarily a lie, but it was just that they used a different language, just like law does. Law, yeah, their words look the same, but they mean different things. In the religion, the words look the same, but they mean different things. So it meant that the great leader sent a messenger to talk to so-and-so. And the word God was given a meaning in the later years uh, that it was never meant to have. I wanted to ask... Yeah? 
I wanted to ask you about something that intrigued me, uh, a statement that you make in the book about the the, the books of Moses. And I generally believe that that's the first four books or first five books of the Bible. But you say that there that there's other books of Moses and you've actually seen at least one of these books. What, oh, what I, I have. See, Moses wrote 12 books. Okay. I have 10 of them. Okay. You you can buy them. Uh, they're not easy to find, but you can get your hands on them. Um, there is one place where I bought probably most of them. I stumbled across the seventh book, but I think I got most of them. That's um, it's a place um, healthresearch dot com, I think, or Health Research is the name of the place. It's a bookstore out in California, Okemole Hill. It used to be. And uh, you can get, uh, I think, all 10 books there. Now, the 11th book of Moses, you can't find anywhere. I've tried. And the 12th, nobody knows if it even exists, except there is supposed to be one at the Vatican, and they won't let you see it. What is in some of these books? Oh, there is, uh, see, Moses was, um, he was, he was a magician. He had, uh, Magician back then meant different, something different than it means today. Today it means one that is good with his hands, with the card tricks and things like that. My back then, it was the power of the mind. And he was well educated. He, uh, he had a very strong mind. And he could do some of these things by creating something called eidetic memory for one thing. And he could create things out of the mind and put it into the physical existence, bypass the regular physical creation process. All right. It appears that he was well advanced in the psychic arena. So, um, he had some access to some of the Akashic records, possibly uh, because the Akashic records mostly, you know, we think of it as the past, but they're also there for the future. This is the same that uh, like Edgar Casey wrote about the Akashic Akashic records. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, there is. Uh, you know, the mystery schools in Egypt, they taught a lot of things. And uh, they got kids that came there at the age of, you know, anything from three to five years old, but they stayed there for 25, 30 years. And they taught them the power of the mind. They taught them about medicine, uh, nutrition, salts. And uh, and uh, they became the, the leader of their groups or their village or wherever they went afterwards. And uh, this old knowledge that uh, it was there, but it was not for the common man to have. Uh, what do you make of modern mystery schools? Do you have any experience in dealing with anything like that? I have never really looked into it. I'm wondering how, you know, there is one mystery school, and that's the Masons, you know, you know, for, uh, 
Masons, they are, uh, they have the, so the Rosicrucians, they also have a form of a mystery school, and they teach some of the old teachings. And they've come across a lot of the truth, but uh, they seem to be directing it in a way where they would benefit themselves and uh, control others, and mostly for gains of themselves. So I don't particularly, I've been invited, uh, I think, two or three times to join the Masons, and I never did, because I, I knew a little bit about what they do, so just never done. I was going to ask you about that, about secret societies and how some of the uh, the, the material that, that you cite in the book and then also uh, some of the concepts that you talk about uh, could be similar to some of the things that, that, that they talk about and some of this like secret knowledge that they say that they have. Uh, do you believe that there's such a thing as like, well, a lot of everybody talks about the Illuminati, this kind of elite that controls the controls the world, controls the planet? Oh, yeah, absolutely, because they admit it themselves. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they do. They, uh, they, they admit that, yeah, we, that was created in 1776, same year as the U.S. <coughs> I mean, the Declaration the, um, of Independence. So, and of course, the Illuminati was created over in Europe. So, yeah, they admit that. And uh, it's there, and it's grown to a global control mechanism now but that's uh actually it seems like it's faltering a little bit lately uh, there's some people power getting in the middle of their soup yeah i would agree with that for sure it seems like things have kind of things have kind of fallen apart in a way uh in that respect for the yeah. for them uh, so you would definitely see them as probably like i'd say like the darker side of the coin in other words like a uh, a, or lack of a better term, black magic as opposed to white magic. I, um, I'm not so sure black magic and white magic will apply to that because think of it this way. Illuminati, yeah. that comes from illumination. Right. Illumination comes from light. And that dates back to the teachings that actually came out of Atlantis with the... Um, the uh, they speak about that in the Emerald Tablet, and they speak. I've seen some other writings on it that uh, speaks of the um, light. Love is light. God is love. So their God is actually love, but they are reversing the equation. So they are um, they're corrupting it, so to speak. So they are using it for their gain of control, where that was never meant to be. Right. How do you interpret the story of the Garden of Eden? The the serpent comes to Adam and Eve and says, "When you drink, when you eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge, you will be like gods." How do you interpret okay. that story? Well, I, uh, I'd rather not interpret it. I'd rather read it as the written records of that time speak of it. Gotcha. Because Sumerian tablets, they talk about the creation. And uh, that was written thousands of years before the Bible was even thought of. And uh, the, in the Sumerian tablets, it is written that there were these people that came from another world, from another planet, that is, has a, uh, an elliptical orbit around Sol, which is our sun, 
And every 3,660 years, it comes into the inner planets between the fourth and the fifth planet where the um, asteroid belt is. And the people living on this planet, they came to Earth and they splashed down in the Arabian Sea. They swam to shore. And they, it took them six days to build an encampment where they were going to live. And the leader of them, which was N.T., the guy's name, he, he said that he looked at it and he saw it was good and he, will, he was going to rest on the seventh day. And there, he's using the exact same language that shows up in the Bible. And uh, there are too many similarities. It's obvious that uh, what is in the Bible is a direct quote of some of the things that is written up in the Sumerian tablets. Of course, the Bible is credited to someone else. But also in the uh, Sumerian tablets, they talk about these people that came uh, from the stars. They came here to dig for gold because they needed gold for their atmosphere to put it in the upper atmosphere as a fine atomic dust to prevent oxygen from escaping into space. It's explained in the tablets. And uh, they was digging for a very long time, tunnels and mining operations in Africa, all over Southern Africa and the Arabian Peninsula. And uh, at one time, the uh, workers that came from that other planet, they revolted. And they didn't want to do this dirty work anymore. So um, NT says, we will create a primitive worker that will only work and ask no questions. So they took the, uh, there was a uh, creature that was already there, and they took genetic material from that creature, and they gave of their own substance. And what they're saying is that they took the two twisted ropes of life. Obviously, that sounds like the uh, dual, uh, no, double helix. And some of the substance of the creature they started with was removed. And then, then of course, the gods, they gave of their own substance. But they withheld some qualities like long life, lo- knowing the other's mind, and several other things. Uh, these people that came from the stars here, they are in the um, Sumerian king's list uh, there's a record of them being around for hundreds of thousands of years because one of them he splashed down 399,000 years ago according to the king's list in the Arabian Sea and he was the same man was still around about 12,000 years ago when Noah built the boat you know and everybody in the Middle East got wet (laughs) so this is the this is kind of like the Zachariah Sitchin story, right? I mean, this is what he talks about. Yeah, and uh, that comes right out of the Sumerian tablets. And I've looked at some of them. I uh, read some of Zachariah Sitchin stuff, uh, a couple of his books. And uh, but I also went to the the uh, museum in London and read some of their stuff, and it's the same thing that they talk about. Uh, this is the way it was, because these people they lived on this planet called Nibiru, Nibiru, 
and they are coming in in a very elliptical orbit. In 1984, I have three newspaper articles from the Chicago Tribune and uh, two other newspapers, From one from the, uh, I think it's the San Francisco Chronicle, and one from the East Coast, where the, uh, <coughs> there was one day that the, uh, there was an article saying that there is a large object at the end of the solar system, and the uh, scientists don't know what it is. It is bigger than any planets out there. And uh, they write a little bit about it. They can't figure out what it was. And then everything went quiet. And it was never mentioned again. And of course, now, you know, you're talking about, you see it on, even on YouTube, which is, may not be quite true, but it's still, you know, that everybody's talking about this neighborhood coming back in. Yeah, there are a lot of people talking about it. That's, that's, that's very true. And it is coming. It is coming. It's, um, it isn't just one planet. Uh, this hasn't really hit the media or been published yet, but there is actually a, a brown dwarf, kind of like a sun, a burned-out sun that has some eight to ten planets rotating around it. And all that little solar system is coming back in through hours. And whenever it does, it creates havoc. Asking Noah, he knows all about it. So these types of things happened, even though the last couple of times that they came through, nothing big happened. When's the next time it's supposed to come through? Well, uh, you know, you hear people say, oh, it's going to be in April next year, March next year. No, uh, no, it's not. Uh, I ran the numbers on it, and I'm figuring it's going to be around another 400 years before it gets in here. Oh. So none of us will have anything to worry about, I guess, huh? Unless we eat our herbs and berries. Unless you plan, yeah. unless you plan to live that long. Oh, that's true. A good point. Yeah, good point. <laughs> good point. Thank you, Rob. <laughs> Why not? Point. It's a disease, right? <laughs> I won't be around that long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wanted to ask real quick about the Druze. This was an interesting, uh, the Druze religion. You cover that a little bit in the book as well. Yeah, the Druids, they, uh, they've been around a long time, a very long time. and uh, There's not very ruthless. many of them left, I think, and, and I think also they're in Syria, I believe, right? Um, yeah, that could be. I'm thinking more of the Druids in uh, Western England and Ireland, you know? Oh, I mean like the Druze, D-R-U-Z, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Druze, oh yeah, well, there is small communities of Druze even in the United States. And uh, they are, uh, they claim to be the direct lineage of reincarnate souls from Atlantis. And they are, um, they are the descendant of the teachers of, right, the teachers of light over there. And they, um, they stay to themselves. Uh, you, they do not take in converts. You, you have to be born into a family that is a Druze. Otherwise, you really don't have a way to join them. Because they work it by, you have to be a reincarnate in order to be one of them. But they don't talk about the religion. They don't advertise. They don't, uh, you hardly ever hear about them. Casey Kasem was one of them. You know that radio star from the 50s and the 60s? Oh, yeah, really? 
Well, wow. yeah, he was, he was one of them, and uh, nobody knew it. Hmm. And there is uh, there is a few people around the country that are of that lineage, and uh, but most of them are like you said, is in the Middle East. Uh, it's a small enclave in Israel, and uh, then you know in the, in uh, Syria there is supposed to be some in Lebanon and they're, they're around but all together they claim that they think they might be half a million people all together that are the Jews that, that's about it yeah it seems like interesting like some of these the, these cultures that 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 exist and have very small communities that still have some of these interesting beliefs like that I found that very fascinating Let's yeah. let's talk about uh, let's talk about time travel in the time that we have left. Um, what what was that? Oh, time travel. Oh, I want to know how you how 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 we can travel through time. And, and now, when you say time travel, you you mean I guess more mental time travel than physical time travel. Well, it it could be both if we understand what we are. Yeah. We are nothing except for a mental projection into the physical reality exactly like a hologram would be. All we have to go back to the computer that controls the hologram and change the programming to show a different projection of what is in the field. So... You know, time travel is very hard to understand if we think that we are really something. We are uh, we are physical matter here. That uh, yeah, we are, but it is a hologram. Holograms can be changed by the computer running the show, and that universal consciousness is that computer that can run the show in our physical existence. Let's convert that to time travel. The past, present, and future is sitting in this super creation out of the physical reality. It is all there in the now and the present. There is no distance between the past and the future. We can access it by going there in our mind, accessing it, and we can see the past and the future. But we have to also remember, by doing that, I... Uh, I've been known to make predictions about some things in the future, and some of it don't happen. Hmm. And that comes from the fact that timelines can screw us up. Because if we are, let's let me back up a little bit. In two thousand and three, BBC Television came over to the United States and did a uh, TV documentary. On time travel, they interviewed Michio Kaku and uh, Green and several other theoretical physicists and myself. Okay. And uh, this was shown in front of a billion people around the world, and they got some notoriety. But some of the things I had seen that I talked about on this particular uh, TV documentary didn't happen. Because at the time this video was made, I... I was hosting and producing two TV shows and um, I was into the government corruption and uh, I was all in there trying to expose what the government was doing and all this garbage and really negative stuff was on my mind. So that is what I projected into the future. 
had I not changed my mind and changed and altered by creating a new timeline for myself, that probably would have happened and that would have been bad news. And I'm in a timeline now where that did not happen because I changed my mind on what I saw in the future. I wanted to see different things. And evidently, what I had seen in the other timeline didn't happen. Was so, this something of a negative nature that you saw? Yeah, uh, there were, uh, there were in, in, I predicted back then that uh, in uh, 2005, there would be a breakdown of the economic system and, uh, and uh, well, really nasty stuff in the United States because I, that's what I'd seen. You, I was demonstrating a little electronic device that I have had some very strange experiences with on this uh, TV documentary. Now, the thing is that what I saw, it was there in the super creation, but it didn't happen in the timeline I am now. So something changed, and the only thing that I can see that changed it was that I ended up in a different timeline by making some different decisions. But the um, when what I saw, I uh, one of the incidents what I saw was that uh, I strapped this electronic device on me, put the magnet where it should be, and I had the time coil around my head and all this. You know, the, if you find the uh, video on the internet, you I think you can still find it. It's called Time Trip by BBC Television. Time Trip, and uh, you'll see how it works. And um, what I what I saw was that I saw myself walking down the street and I walked up to a, a, a newspaper stand and I looked on the front page of the newspaper in that uh, newspaper stand and I read some of the things on the front page. That is one of the things I talked about. But that didn't happen, luckily. So uh, I've, been, I've been right on a lot of other things, but this one didn't happen and God, I'm, I'm glad it didn't. Us too. <laughs> Say so. I mean, it's total like economic collapse. Now, I mean, this was before two thousand eight, though. So, oh yeah, that was two thousand three. So, if if things had gone badly, I mean, maybe a different way in two thousand eight. You never know. I mean, maybe you you were closer than than you thought at that point. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, you know, if you go to the internet and read all the stuff out there now that uh, they say, oh, this is going to be bad news, you know, we're weeks away from a total economic collapse because the stock market is, uh, you know, they're just way overpriced and the commodities are down and, you know, government is broke and all that good stuff. Yeah, well, of course it is, but it's not going to be that bad. I have not seen that happen. I think we're good now until after the elections. There's going to be a reset of all global currencies. And um, that will be a substance-backed currency. And the way that uh, both have seen it and what they plan to do is what they're going to do, they're going to take all global currencies, devalue them by 90%, and then they're going to raise the price of gold to about $30,000 an ounce and Whoa. silver to about $15,000 an ounce. And then by doing that, and they add oil to it and add land to it and assets to it as backing of the currencies for the individual countries. And then they have enough value 
to cover the remaining 10% of debt. So now you have a global substance-backed business currency. It's a brilliant idea. Hmm. It could really is is this is and this after Trump is elected president? I'm sorry, say again? Is this after Trump is elected president? I am not so sure, but I don't see it happen before the elections. I think they have another year. I was being a little facetious. I just want to <laughs> Do you have any predictions on who's gonna win twenty sixteen? <laughs> okay. Uh, no, I um no, but I think that there is some uh, individual resets that will happen before that. And that's uh, minor things like uh, uh, I can see the, the Iraqi dinar coming online and I see other currencies being reset because they are coming online because of their uh, the countries decide to do it separate from the others. So we're looking I at 2017 see. for this. Very likely... 2016 something yeah I don't know that's it's in there somewhere you know I was uh, I was watching Jimmy Kimmel the other night and uh, Hillary yeah? Hillary made a, a a special appearance and she's sitting at a table with some children and and they're having like this little dialogue you know back and forth uh, uh, making jokes you know with the children and stuff and, and their ignorance about politics because they're they're y- really young children you know five six years old. And um, she, one of the kids asked Hillary, are you going to be our next president? She goes, yes, I, and then she corrects herself really quick. She's like, uh, well, I'm trying my best to. <laughs> so so ju- just, just a, a split second, she says, yes, I am, you know, and then, yeah. she, she, then she changes it really quick. Yeah. yeah she's sure of it. <laughs> well, Augie, th- we're, oh, go ahead, go ahead. That's when she shot herself in the foot. Yeah, excellent. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, Augie, we were almost out of time, but tell tell everyone where uh, they can get, get, get your book and uh, where they can contact you. Okay. Um, uh, if they want to read this book, what I'm doing in the book, I'm teaching people how to access that universal consciousness and teach them also what to do with it when they do make the connection consciously and uh, I have a lot of success principles that you can only find out about uh, talking to billionaires in there and uh, the creation and a lot of the things that is so far outside the box that you can't even see the box from there and um, you can go to the website uh, to uh, of course you can go to Amazon and uh, type my name in that's probably that's the quickest way actually to get the book and that is um the first name, of course, A-A-G-E, last name, N-O-S-P. And uh, the website where you can get it from my website is uh, www.spiritual-sciences.net. And I'll have a link in the show notes to that as well. Oh, that's good, yeah. spiritual sciences Net. And also go to my Facebook page. There's a lot of information about some of these things. And I also have a Facebook blog, which there will be a link to from my Facebook Facebook page. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you, Augie. You've been a very excellent guest. We've enjoyed having you on. 
we'll have to have you on to talk about UFOs. So we really didn't cover that. And that's one of the, we, we love to talk about that on this show. So that one will be really far out there because there's <laughs> so much happening right now and there's evidence of it. And, um, Wait until you see what's on the moon. Well, when you hear what's on the moon, that, that's where it's all happening right now. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being on. Stay on the line for us. We're going to close this section out, and we'll be right back on Conspiracy Normal. All right. We're back on Conspiracy Normal. It's a great interview with Mr. Aggie Nost. Woot, woot. Did I get that right? Yeah, I think so. Adam's a juggler. <laughs> Adam's face is all painted up right now. <laughs> yeah. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a clown. I'm a juggalo, homie. Uh, <laughs> like, you been hanging out with Daniel from Pizza Hut? Yeah, you were, uh, you, you, were, you were getting into that one. I think well, you really you really well, enjoyed some well, of that stuff. I mean, stuff. You, you know me, man. Like, I've always been interested in fluoride, not in chlorine. Actually... Right. You know, actually, you know, these days I'm more on to uh, chlorine than I am fluoride because I read some pretty bad shit about chlorine, too. And anybody else can can go uh, to Google Scholar and just type in chlorine and find all kinds of abstracts because you actually have to pay for like the, the full uh, the full essays. But you can read the abstracts yeah, on yeah, Google a Scholar. A lot of it's in like scientific journals and, and stuff. And yes. And, and the language is so complicated. <laughs> yeah, Rob, what do you think of that interview, man? I it was it was interesting. It was a, quite a range of stuff he covered. Um, you kind of look like a Syrian refugee right now. You're all bubbled up. <laughs> I feel like a little lady with my my blanket. <laughs> Dude, like, that that is mothers in here. That is a badass Afghan too. <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> that looks cool. <laughs> no, I, I I like a lot of the. I mean, I identify with a lot of that. Um, you know, kind of projecting your um, you know, positivity or thought and into yeah. the future, and you know that that sort of a um, concept. I, I really think there's there's something to all that. As far as um, other dimensions and, and seeing the future, I don't know. I've I've never really right. tried. But the, the the thing is, is that like you know he mentioned uh, towards the end there about seeing the future and 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 getting a prediction wrong and. And, you know, well, all the stuff about parallel universes, I mean, um, he could have been actually viewing a parallel universe. Well, it always, thinks, it always makes me think of, um, you ever read the um, Dune books at all? I have read the first Dune. <laughs> well, the, the, first, they, the first one. It talks a lot about how, um, you know, like they'll they'll overdose on the spice and be able to yeah. predict the future. But if you've got that many people predicting the future and looking into the future and changing things, every minute little thing you change is changing the future again. So it starts to get cloudy and hard to predict. And right. You know, if, if there's more than one, which I'm sure if, if he's doing this, there's other people out there doing this, it's, you know, you could make a prediction and then tomorrow somebody else can come along and make a different prediction and screw your prediction all up. And I, I tried my best to watch that movie, dude, Dune. I fell which, asleep. Which one? Cause there's I, like two different versions. There's no, I, uh, we, we had the whole like four VHS box set back in the oh, day. Oh and, yeah. And I, I tried watching it. <laughs> well, you not, had the day, you it. had the David Lynch version, which I'm like, I remember kind of liking when I was a kid and there's like two different versions of it, man. There's like a director's cut. that's like four hours long. And yeah. then there's another one that's like two and a half or almost three. And actually, I read the book when I was in like college, the first book. I haven't read any of the other ones. And like, I was just like, you know, this is, I was like, you know, 
David Lynch just kind of made it a really weird kind of movie, which is like pretty it's natural does, for yeah. David Lynch. And <laughs> and I'm reading this book and I'm like, you know, this is really about like, well, first of all, it's about like oil and in in the Middle East, and then second of all, it's more like a medieval empire but it's in you know 10,000 years AD and it's you know it's it's like all these different like factions battling out over control of resources and like that's more what it was and then there's like a sci-fi like the sci-fi channel redid it in like the late 90s and I thought it was like much better the way that they really? did I've it seen that then it's kind of like um how Stephen King didn't really like the shining Stanley mm-hmm. Kubrick's version and then he went and did his own version later on, which was much more true to the book, actually. But I felt like that version of Dune was was much more true. Was the, much more true. The to Stephen the book. King's version, you said? Oh no, Stephen King. The, uh, that's uh, the Shining. Oh, oh. But uh, was it Frank Herbert? Was yeah. the guy who wrote the Dune books? Yeah. Have you read them all? Uh, the first three. It was like Children of Dune and uh, so Messiah. Wh- which one yeah. should I watch then? I would watch the Sci Fi Channel miniseries that came out like the late or 90s or early 2000s it was much more uh palatable yeah it's much better (laughs) you know like that movie i mean it's it's okay but it's just it's like it's just so it's just unless you hadn't read the books you wouldn't know what was going on yeah the the themes (laughs) get lost too which is kind of sad and all the internal monologues and stuff in that movie and like the yeah I, i couldn't handle it dude yeah, it, it it will it will probably more than likely put you to sleep. There's some good actors in it. I mean, you got some real powerhouse actors in that movie, but it's like, well, Patrick Stewart's in it. I mean, you know, right before Star Trek, but I mean, it's a. Uh, I, I would probably recommend the the miniseries. You get a better idea of what the kind of like how the oh, book is set right. up. So if you if you could find it, I don't know if it's it may it probably has been released, but um. You know, I guess, you know, with Augie's stuff, I mean, he's what we, we would consider like new age. And when we started getting into the Nibiru stuff, I just started kind of, <laughs> I think my pineal glands started to calcify then. But you got kind of like a funny story about like the whole Nibiru thing, like with your mom. Oh, yeah, was- yeah. We, you know, I've talked about it before <laughs> on an episode way, way back. No one's probably listened to. <laughs> it's that far back, but uh, but yeah, um, my my mom is uh, she's always been in to some strange things. She's kind of far out there. She doesn't do any drugs. Like every once in a while, she might smoke a little pot if me or my brother have have some over there. But <laughs> but she um, she joined. We the don't Ash- condone that on this show. By the no, way. we don't. This is a. I'm very Christian, and I. <laughs> Uh, pray, uh, praise, sorry, I didn't mean to laugh. Praise Jesus. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah. So my mom like joined this space cult, and when I say join, like she didn't actually like <laughs> physically go to any kind of space cult meetings or Was anything. This Ashtar she, Command as Ashtar Command, yeah. <laughs> and a- Ashtar is Jesus. Like if you look at the the uh, yeah. artist rendering of Ashtar, it's like he, Lord Veranda or he, some he, crap he, like that. He, well, that's that's like that's kind of like a. a someone who channels the message through the Ashtar, yeah. you know, yeah, you got a lot charge. of that going on in the new age. Yeah. There's a hierarchy there, Yeah, but, um, but Ashtar is supposed to be Jesus. And if you look at the artist's rendering, it's like Jesus with a helmet on, like, it's like, it's like this helmet that, uh, a seventies dirt bike rider would, <laughs> <laughs> would wear. 
but uh, when I when I say she joined, uh, all that consists of is that she just um, subscribed to a newsletter, and that yeah. that person that that you just mentioned, I I can't remember what'd you say that their name. Was? I can't remember it. It's something like that, like Veronica Z- or something or like something that. like that. Yeah. Um, well, he or she writes these um, newsletters about how how Ashtar is going to come soon, you know, and he's going to fix everything in our economy. And don't worry, Earthlings, like we're watching up above and, and we're here to help you and spread peace and love and joy and all this kind of stuff. So, it, you know, it just plays on people's emotions that are, yeah, you know. Well, you also had to brush off the dust from Nibiru. <laughs> yeah, she uh, um, she calls me up one day. And I'm just, I have to, you know, I call her like twice a month just to check in on her. She she lives about an, an hour and a half away from me, so I call her a few times a month to check in on her. And and one day she says, uh, yeah, I was out walking around the property, and I noticed this, this uh, red dust in the creek bed. She's like, I, I can't figure out what it is. She's like, I think it's the maybe the dust from Nibiru because it's supposed to be close by. <laughs> I'm like, first of all, you know, don't you think that we could see a planet bigger than Jupiter, like looming somewhere in the sky? I don't know. You know, we <laughs> that might be noticeable, you know. Close enough, it's getting dust on us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and second of all, like the, the red stuff in the creek beds, iron deposits, gets carried, you know, through with the water yeah. and, and coats uh, limestone. But, um, yeah, where was I going with that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Nibiru. <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not a subscriber to Nibiru. Yeah. I, I think from like, you know, we've had Dr. Heiser come on and talk about it. I don't think any of us, any of us are, you know, we, it, it's, it's kind of hard to, it's kind of hard to buy it just from just the point of supposedly we have this planet that's circling through or it could be a brown dwarf now there are some interesting things but i don't know necessarily if nibiru has anything to do with it i've even heard the theory that that the entire planet of nibiru is a spaceship that's been that's been hollowed out and the reason that we can't see it is because it's very precisely being uh it, it has a mirrored surface or a mirrored atmosphere and that would probably make more sense than it just being a random planet yeah. Well, what about gravitational pull? <laughs> you yeah. know, like that's well, a that's a big issue. Right I mean, there. how could life survive on a planet that supposedly goes out of the like orbit of Pluto? I mean, it would be so far from the sun. Yeah, you would almost have to well, be well the, an artificial construction. The accepted theory you know? that I've heard is that they they're all they have their civilization inside the planet. Yeah, well, and, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, It'd be an it, artificial construction. Yeah, yeah. and it, and it protects them. Well, uh, not much to say on the UF, supposed UFO sighting in California last night. We're recording this on the 8th of November, but there was supposedly like there's like this light was seen everywhere oh, in California. That one looked like that one that was in um, like Russia or something. Yeah. Like weird. Yeah. People were, and- people were saying it was a meteor. People were saying it was a UFO. And supposedly the Navy or someone has come out and said that it was a Trident missile launch, but there's also a lot of debate on that too. Yeah. So uh, I'm a, personally, I'm kind of riding the fence on all that, man. It's, it's hard to tell because right. I, I, 
I think it's very possible there's a, there's a lot of cover-ups going on. And at the same time, it's like, you know, it, what a massive orchestrated effort to cover up every UFO sighting ever, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it's hard to say. Yeah. Uh, you know, Halloween is over. We're going into Christmas. And it is now time since all the people that, uh, well, all the evangelicals that are out there that are screaming on the internet about how evil Halloween was. Now that Halloween is over, we can move that to the war on Christmas. (laughs) And apparently Starbucks has decided to oppress, to oppress us. Tis the season for war on Christmas stories. And this year, Starbucks is the first major group to offend due to its holiday themed red cups. Last week, the coffee giant unveiled the design of this year's cups, which have become something of a Starbucks tradition. The company's designers went for a minimalist look with a bright poppy color on top that shades into a darker cranberry below. Don't you just love that? We have anchored the design with the classic Starbucks holiday red that is bright and exciting, said Jeffrey Fields, Starbucks vice president of design and content. The ombre creates a distinctive dimension of fluidity and weightedness. Sure, why not? Well, the design looks slightly different than years past, which have featured snowflakes and other wintry icons. This absence of holiday symbols is, of course, making people furious. The Starbucks coffee cup change smells more of political correctness than a consumer-led chart, led change, British conservative MP David Barrow has told right-wing website Breitbart London. What is it about Christmas that Starbucks are afraid of celebrating? The Christian Institute's Simon Calvert told Breitbart, Haven't they heard it the most wonderful time of the year and the season of goodwill to all men? They should get involved and stop being Scrooges. People are mad, and they've taken the Twitter, much like with Exorcism Live. (laughs) My Christmas mentality, if a store won't promote Christmas re-Starbucks, I'm not sending my hard-earned money there. Starbucks red cups have erased any sense of Christmas after years of, at the very least, upholding a capitalistic post-Victorian image of the Christian holiday. I won't be gifting any Starbucks gift cards for Christmas. Christmas, Starbucks hates Christians, but love our money. Since you're running away from Christianity, I'm running away from you, just exercising my financial choice. A lot of this came up because there was this guy, uh, Josh Firestein, who is a uh, preacher and apparently a well-loved YouTuber that uh, he kind of looks like uh, Kevin James, the actor. Uh, with a with a beard, <laughs> and apparently he he, he kind of talks like this. Hey guys, this is Josh Fairstein. He's kind of got like a like he sounds like he's in the WWE. Or I something, talk with you know? presidents. I talk like right. I'm important. I'm an important person, and you should listen to me because I can drown everyone else out. And so he uh, gets on there and says he said that he told the uh, barista that. Uh, his name was Merry Christmas, so they wrote Merry Christmas on there because Starbucks is apparently oppressing and persecuting them. Christians now. <laughs> yeah. So this is the kind of stuff that we, we, we'll we we'll get to hear at least through the end of December 25th <laughs> about how Christmas is under attack and blah, 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 even though, you know, people are dying and being actually persecuted and oppressed in, in Syria 
I'm, you know, I'm, and uh, we're I'm, not going to do. You know, you know, people are going to get all worked over this, but not over the homeless and starvation <laughs> and poverty and war. And that's just my own personal take on that. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I've started to come up with. I haven't like actually mapped it out yet, but I've started to come up with this like graph of hipsterdom. <laughs> and, and it's it like goes from like you know you know level one to level ten. Yeah, and I, I would call someone like a level ten hipster, like someone that lives in New York, you know, and they they have like the the fanciest like little you know ten thousand dollar a month like apartment, and, <laughs> and that knows like every kind of uh, social reference and cool clever quips all the time, you know. And then like on your first level, hipster is just uh, you know, like. I guess I'd be close to that. You know, us, we would all be close to like level one hipsters, you know, level one hipster. And I'll somewhere, <laughs> somewhere in the middle level five is where you got like the East Nashvilleans. <laughs> They're wearing the skinny jeans and you know, the, the uh, toboggans halfway on their head and, and I shave everything but the mustache. Where does that put me? Put the mustache. Uh, uh, you get, well, I'd say about a level three, awesome. <laughs> level yeah. three, because that's, because that's well, just, I mean, you 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 do have like a a large like 1970s style turntable uh, in your in your house. Now. Actually, it's 68. <laughs> no, I, dude, I love my turntable. I mean, hey, sometimes hipsters get things right. Dude. Well, maybe that kicks me up to level two. Speaking of old music, we're gonna play a song to close the night show out, and this is a song by the. Uh, Dynamic Capers and mm. called Alligator Wine, which is actually a Screaming Jay Hawking song. But Luke, you kind of have a personal connection to this. Yeah. Uh, my girlfriend's grandpa, um, he, he's the singer in that band. And um, he's, I guess he's kind of ashamed of it. He, he's a really conservative guy. He's real traditional yeah. and stuff. So I, I wouldn't want to ask him more of the story myself. But just what I heard from um, Kira or my girlfriend's grandma um what what had what happened back in the 60s when they were a band uh they couldn't get any radio played because the Nashville radio stations apparently just wanted to play you know the bands that were were black and they they thought that the dynamic capers were black and that's why they were getting uh the radio play hmm. i guess it just had to do with that specific station maybe yeah uh, that's what it sounds like to me. But um, they they were denied uh, the radio, or after after they found out that it's a band full of white guys, like they were denied radio play, and they took all of their seventy uh, eights to the Shelby Street Bridge and just threw them all off in the water and just gave up on the band. And so when you ask him about it today, uh, you know I, I've never even met met the guy, but <clears throat> from what I hear is if you you bring it up or talk about it, he just changes the subject or he's embarrassed about it. So it's just cool to 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 hear about like a little piece of history, you know, right here in your hometown and bands going that far back. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And and especially uh, how much people change because you would see someone like that that's a conservative farmer type guy, you know, and and never expect that right. that he would have a band like that and be involved in something like that when he was younger. Right. Yeah, it's very cool. It's like a like a piece of history, and you, know, you never you never knew about it like you never knew that it existed like right. kind of like a time and 
a time and place, in, you know, the, the whole like 60s garage rock was going on. Yeah. And, so. and it also seems to me, like you mentioned, it was it's just a cover. It also seems to me like everybody was just doing covers. Yeah, that, that was a big thing at that time. It was it was a lot of uh, doing like a lot of covers of like blues standards or different songs. Like, you know, the song Hey Joe that Hendrix recorded was probably done like several times by several different like kind of garage bands at that time. So that was a big that was a big thing. So that that's nothing too unusual that that. You know, there would be a cover of that. Yeah. So but we're going to play it here at the end of the show. Uh, just a couple of show notes, guys. We are approaching episode 100. We do have something cool for that. But uh, next time in two weeks, we will have Elliot Marzulli coming back on the show. And we're going to talk about his new book, and Days of Chaos, and his video, Watchers 9. This will be probably some interesting uh, stuff. So. Guys, uh, thanks a lot for listening. We're going to close out the show. And thanks for thanks for coming and joining us on Conspiranormal. You any french fries?
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.